0: The MLB app, baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now it's Gabe time.
1: Gabe Coon. Gabe Coon was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all of football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the easy bake
0: oven like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. New week. We're on the precipice of week one of college football week zero behind us, but it's Monday, August 28, 2023. Welcome in to the Gabe Coon Show. I'm your host, Fresh off an allergic reaction. I'm going to have to mention that in a second. I am Gabe Coon, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman. On Twitter, on x at g underscore Coon71, I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Coon Show. That'd be Connor Dunning on x on Twitter, cdunning929.
1: Connor, what's the word, brother? I'm doing much better than you. Yeah. No no reactions every day. Last ever night
0: here. was something, man. Got back in town from St. Louis. Had a little bit of dinner. Real early dinner. Sort of the early bird special around 5 45, 6. Then I wanted a, I wanted some sweets, so I get in my car, drive over the drive-through are on Poplar. They have the Dunkin' Donuts slash uh, 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 Baskin Robbins. So I go through the drive-through. I want two scoops. Ask for cookie dough, and I thought it was cookie dough when I pulled around. So I get home, open it up, take one bite, it's cookie dough. Take a the other bite of the other scoop, and it was uh, it was peanut butter ice cream. And I am allergic to a lot of peanut like peanuts, tree nuts. You know, I can't eat cashews, can't eat walnuts. Uh, but I haven't had an allergic reaction since I was like three. I don't even remember the last time I had one. So like over the years, I've thought, okay, maybe I have built up an immunity. Maybe I'm not, because that's what people tell you. you. You lose your, sometimes you can lose your allergies as you go along in life. You can grow out of them. I did not grow out of my peanut allergy. I'll tell you that right now. It took about... Two hours, late onset, and my face was swollen. I came into the studio this morning. You had to laugh at me a little bit.
1: You looked like you were like an older celebrity that did Botox. That did Botox. And it didn't a really really bad Botox yeah, job. it's like yeah. early Sylvester Stallone Botox. Yes,
0: like my eyes, yeah. low, my eyelids had these, they, they were just puffy. Um, If you've ever seen the movie Hitch. Very when much When Will so. Smith eats the shellfish on accident, that's sort of what, that, that is the idea. Of what so, I was looking like I'm
1: glad time. though that I now know that you are allergic to peanuts because I don't know if you've noticed, I usually eat peanut butter crackers in a in a thing of trail mix. See, I'm like not, all the time. I'm like, and I, <laughs> I had no idea you were it. allergic. I have to ingest it. You have to ingest it. it. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Good.
0: And I ingested far too much. Because last night.
1: if it was just you being around it, I would have killed you six months ago. <laughs>
0: Baskin, Baskin Robbins, I I want to give him a piece of my mind
1: for that. What, do you that, think that, so that, that's frustrating? It was straight up peanut butter. It was
0: peanut it butter wasn't ice cross cream. Contamination no, it with was the straight. It, I took one bite and I knew. I know what it, I know what oh, it tastes man. like, even though I don't eat it.
1: That's tough. Tough and,
0: break. And uh, you know, I started feeling a little itchy. And then an hour and a half later, I'm like, my face is numb. So like, did you have going- a moment? I, w- I walked I walked to my uh my uh bathroom to look in the mirror and I looked like the uh the guy out of the Goonies. That's what it sort of looked hey like. You yeah, guys! Exactly. That's yeah, you're what big enough like. too to be him. Yeah, my face was puffed up. I don't want to look like that in public. <laughs> now I am I'm I am uh four Benadryl deep. So uh Little that, that, they, well, I'm, I'm all right now. I think I've Got recovered the a little bit. But I had I had to, I had to get some Benadryl in me. I was very uh, as I went to sleep last night. It was easy to go to sleep. I, I,
1: I, I bet it was. Um, I bet it was a deep slumber.
0: But I think my the swelling's just about down, right? They yeah, you, a little you bit look back to eyes. normal.
1: You're you're pretty much back to normal. It looks like you just kind of woke up from a nap now, yeah. which you didn't. <laughs> it was bad. It yeah. was bad there for a second. Well, when you walked but in, I'm I was glad, like, "What happened what at what that baby shower?"
0: Growing out of my allergy, I did not grow out of my allergy. I learned that now. So be very careful around peanuts and peanut butter and, and all the tree nuts I may be allergic to. Uh, but also I did learn that uh, not deathly allergic. Not deathly allergic. Doesn't mean I ever want to push myself to, to the point where I could be deathly allergic. If I ever, ever want to take I, you I, out, I, I know how to do I, it I now. I could breathe. I could breathe. And, you know, my, my throat did not swell up a crazy amount. I was I was okay. I handled myself. I could still sleep. So there is that.
1: Don't cross me, Gabe. I know how to take you out now.
0: I guess so. I guess so. I mean, if you, if you want to have fun, just give me some peanut butter. Watch me flare up on a Friday night. That'd be that's kind of fun in itself.
1: <laughs> what are your weekend plans? Oh, I'm going to watch you have an allergic yeah, reaction. I'm watch you have an allergic. <laughs> I just was, blow peanuts in your face when yeah. you walk out the studio. <laughs> that
0: was rough. That was rough. But we have three hours to talk outside of that on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM, ESPN, and yours truly. That's enough of my allergic reaction. We have week zero of college football to get to. We have some stadium funds discussion, more money discussion to have on the show today with uh, Laird Veach, Bill Hardgrave, uh, the president at the University of Memphis, getting up in front of a mic ahead of this weekend's game, Memphis, Bethune-Cookman at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. They talked about the stadium funds, what they expect, uh, when they expect to get started. Um, there's still some unknown, though, about how they're going to divvy up the $350 million that the state has given them. Uh, The NFL, there was a lot of stuff over the weekend, a bunch of stuff over the weekend in the NFL. Josh Jacobs is back. He got $12 million one year. Um, He'll be back in a Raiders uniform at the start of the year. And Trey Lance, I I talked about this on Friday. There was some level of discussion from John Lynch's side, GM of the 49ers, that they were going to keep him, uh, that they still sort of enjoyed him. They didn't want to fall into the trap of, having quarterbacks go down and not having one in the NFC championship like they did last year once Brock Purdy went down. Uh, but they end up trading him. And I am surprised at the taker, Connor. I'm surprised that the Cowboys are the team that went out of their way to trade a fourth rounder for Trey Lance. But what does that mean for Dak? What does that mean for that team? Are they trying to develop him? We will talk about that as the show rolls along. Hop into the Blitz around 630. and Big, big Blitz conversation is uh, Jim Harbaugh and his presser today. And I, I, I get the feeling he's kind of upset with being suspended for three games and the NCAA issues he's in. Um, but leading into week one versus ECU, he stepped up to the mic and talked about the status quo in college football being unacceptable. Revenue sharing needs to be on the table now with these big TV contracts, and the players need to get a cut of the revenue being generated. So that will be a big discussion in the Blitz. As far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins at 5 o'clock from the Jeff Calkins Show and the Daily Memphian. And then at 6 o'clock per normal on a Monday throughout football season, Harold Grader, the associate executive director of the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, will join the show, talk about week zero in college football, and we'll look ahead to week one of college football. Now, week zero of college football, um, we know the slate wasn't very good, ultimately, um, but we did have two, have two top 15 teams going. I, you know, the Hawaii uh, Vanderbilt game was way too close for uh, comfort for Vanderbilt fans. I'll say that, in a stadium that's still going through renovations at the moment. Hawaii had a chance to drive down and potentially win that game. Braden Shager, their quarterback, 351 yards, three TDs. Vandy's defense is going to have to be a lot better if they even want to get one SEC win this year. I mean, they're going to have to, they're going to, have to buckle down because 35-28, game one with Hawaii traveling across the country or across the world, really, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Um but I want to start with uh, Navy-Notre Dame. I was very impressed with Sam Hartman. I was very impressed with that Notre Dame team. And did you see also, there was 40,000 fans from the U.S. that traveled over to Ireland.
1: I did, it's looking like game. a great crowd.
0: No, it, it, apparently it, it it is the biggest, the largest level of, of travel they've seen for an international, like a American sport playing in, in Ireland. That's the most the biggest influx of fans from the US that have that have shown up 32,000 from Notre Dame. Wow. 32 000, they they traveled. I mean that that That's goes fantastic. beyond traveling, That's well. That's fantastic. That goes beyond traveling, well. But they went 42 to 3 over Navy. Uh, there were some questions about Navy having a, a new offensive scheme. Um no, they didn't. <laughs> it was the exact same thing. There was no wrinkles. Ty Lavatai, their their quarterback threw six passes. He was 3 for 6. That was it. And then they ran the ball the rest of the time and uh, Notre Dame snuffed it out. It was not like last year's game where it felt like Notre Dame was a little confused by the triple option and didn't really stick to their assignments. It was 35-32 last year, 42-3 this year. But Sam Hartman gives this team a boost that I don't think a lot of people fully expected this team to have. Yeah, they're a power running team. They did really well down the stretch of last season with whether it was Drew Pine, Tyler Buckner running the ball. Um, you have uh, uh, Audrick Estime, who's just a big, massive back. He was great down the stretch of last season, and they still have that in their repertoire. They have a good offensive line led by Joe Alt, who's their left tackle, who will likely be a first-round pick. But now they have a pass game to match, and we know defensively that's what Marcus Freeman's going to hang his hat on. But Sam Hartman, 19 for 23, 251, four TDs, zero interception. He's, just, he's doing exactly uh, sort of the, the, the same as far as what he was doing at Wake Forest, spreading the ball around, uh, being very efficient with the football, and being a massive playmaker, creating big plays for the pass game. And Notre Dame's been missing that. They missed that last year with Marcus Freeman in year one.
1: That That's what I was – you just nailed it. The thing that I noticed when I was watching the game was how much he was spreading the ball around. The most receptions that one of his receivers got was four, and I think that – I think four or five different guys had three or more receptions. So he was really using the entire field. And a guy, another guy that, you know, running the game that you didn't mention was Jeremiah Love. Yeah, every time good. that dude touched the ball, it was a first down. It was yep. fun, like, every time he was in because I was like, oh, there's a first down coming right there. I think he averaged like 10 yards per carry. So it was a, a, a dynamic offensive showing for Notre Dame. And what I liked about it is they put Davey to bed pretty quick because, like yep. you said, last year they struggled with it. It was like it was over.
0: Navy, fast. Navy had no chance. They, had no, a they just had no shot. It was bad. It was really bad. And I, that's not that is not the ideal game one for Brian Newberry, year one as head coach, to have to go all the way to Dublin and deal with the travel and deal with a team like Notre Dame with a great quarterback for the first time in a while. Like that is just not a not a easy matchup to deal with. But Navy does not look good. They do not look like a good team. The talent is deficient. They looked, I mean, I always had questions about okay, you you fire Ken Neomatololo, who was great for years and years and years at Navy, and got them to the heights that they'd never really reached, at least in the 21st century. And you bring in Brian Newberry, who was his DC. There was no switch up, it was the same exact team. They ran out there in the same exact schemes, same exact everything. I I always had questions about Navy getting rid of of Coach Ken to go bring in Brian Newberry, who was still on staff. You're
1: you're not changing up anything. I guess I have questions about what's the point of making that change if you're getting rid of the guy that made it work. You know what I mean? like he, He could make that offense work. He could make that play style work. I'm not sure firing and I, him and basically doing like, hey, we're going to do the same thing with somebody who who didn't do offense. He did the defensive side of the ball. I, it didn't make much sense to me. Isn't there, especially with the changing landscape
0: of college football as a whole, I feel like, you know, Navy has to understand. Like, firing Coach Ken. I thought was ridiculous. I know they have struggled the last few years. But you do have to accept at some point, at Navy, in the conference you're in, in the AAC, like, you cannot – you're not putting together NIL deals you're not going to be able to recruit at a high level it's just going to be harder for you to there's a ceiling to get to the point where you were under under Kenneya Monalolo in the new age of college football there's always going to be a ceiling and i think that ceiling's even lower than it than it has been in the past because you cannot do the same things in recruiting that others can like and it's not unlike some of the academic issues where where you run into Stanford and Cal and and teams like that like they have struggled uh, because of the academic standards they hold their people to. But, I mean, you have academic standards. Uh, you're at a, uh, uh, you know, military academy. You have to be understanding that this day and age of college football is not going to suit you. Right. So firing Ken Neomatololo I thought always was weird, and it, it really – I I felt good about my thought um, when that happened last year,
1: seeing that game won with Brian Newberg. It was surprising when it happened. It was because it was one yeah. of those firings where you just never really expected it to and he, happen. He and was,
0: he, was, he was very frustrated about the whole thing. Yes, he was. He was not happy. No, he was not. And I don't blame him for not being happy. Now, uh, the other game uh, that no one really got to watch because it was on Pac-12 Network, and it looked like some people in the stands didn't get to watch. Dude, that either. picture is yeah. wild. And the, 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 It's the, crazy. The, the L.A. Coliseum, they have blind seats they have blind seats where you can only see the 10 yard line you can see in. the end zone but at least they got to see more than us at home because we don't have pac 12 network so there is that. crazy um but yeah that is wild that they sell those tickets at all and and why do you have in this in this day at least put TVs there or something in this day having blind spots in a stadium that's like 1960s 1970s stuff we need to grow out of that and they have ju- they did renovations to it i think they like took out 15,000 seats and tried to make them better and they still have those seats tucked well, in behind the sort of press box, the, the,
1: the sweet suite, luxury suite area where you can only see the 10-yard line in. And it's not like it's just a few seats. It's hundreds of seats that are blocked off by that press box that you can't see. It, it's, and the further you go up, the less you can see. Like the, the photo that we saw was from one of the seats that had some of the better viewing. It was close to the front of the press box. If you're back up, you're not seeing anything. There's no point going to the game.
0: Call from mom. Answer it Yeah. Nuts. USC, I think you take them more seriously than they than, than you have with Lincoln Riley as, as the coach now. Like, I mean, you know, Clay Helton was a big unmitigated disaster, but I think a lot of people during that time started to take USC with a grain of salt. Like, oh, the L.A. fans, do they really latch on to USC? What's the fan base like? Uh, I think we were getting to the point where we're starting to take them more serious, but they always give you some reason to sort of back off at least a little bit. On the field, though, the big back off I have from – from USC, it's not quarterback, it's not offense. Caleb Williams was phenomenal. I mean, he dropped a snap, picked it up, and threw it, threw a bomb to Taj Washington that was 50 yards in the air. He was 18 for 25, 278, four TDs, zero INTs. Didn't really get to run the ball that much. But, Connor, it's a defense, man. Like, I, I, I hate to be this guy. And I don't think, like, there's some people that I've talked to that think that Lincoln Riley could be on the hot seat pretty quickly. And I don't necessarily think that. USC has been irrelevant for a long time <laughs> in, the, in the 21st century since uh, Pete Carroll left. Um, and, and I thought year one was above and beyond what it should have been for Lincoln Riley. I mean, getting to 11 wins, yeah, they lost twice to Utah and got embarrassed in the Pac-12 championship, and that's tough. But 11 wins, something that that fan base can latch on to, that was big. Um, defensively, they better get it going, man. They, he, I don't know what Alex Grinch has on him. This is the same D.C. he's had for years and years and years. Whether it was Oklahoma, now at USC, he has kept this guy around, and they've underachieved even with the talent they paid for through NIL this offseason. Bear Alexander was solid, was about but he's, to getting, say. <laughs> he's getting double-teamed consistently. They have good linebackers. They have a good front seven, but they're not stopping anyone. And, and like there was consistent, like consistently look... And what Alex Grinch does, he's unnecessarily aggressive for no reason. Like, there was this 3rd and 22 where Chavon Cordero dropped back, San Jose State quarterback. They run this really exotic blitz, and they twist the linemen, and they, you know, try to get after the quarterback. He escapes, runs for 22 yards on a 3rd and 22, sets them up for a a score. It's just, I don't know what Alex Grinch has on Lincoln Riley, but the – Level of attachment that Lincoln Riley clearly has to him just has me asking questions. There's no reason this guy should still be attached at your hip when he has been the reason you've fallen short so many times.
1: The one thing I really noticed from watching the highlights, because like you said, I wasn't able to find the game, and I, you know, to be honest, did not try to find the game because it was so difficult to to watch. They look like Oklahoma. It yep. looked like an Oklahoma football game. It You're really never did. worried
0: about quarterback play. You're never, never worried, worried about, about, the, about offense.
1: the offense. You know, is going to show up. Yes. but they give up big plays. It's not that they give up – they allow teams to drive. It's that they'll give up the huge play, the 22-yard scramble yes. or the big pass that, yeah. that scores a touchdown because They're, they do send guys so much. And it's like if their first line of defense doesn't get to the quarterback or can't get the running back, there's nothing there. There's no backup. You, you there's almost no, they, wanna... they, they leave themselves open to scoring constantly. You
0: almost want to tell Alex Grinch, hey, you now have the talent – to play base, you don't have
1: to you send don't, it. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to send it. You every don't time. have
0: to act like every play is third and in, in two um, in the fourth quarter, and that team is down or that that team is uh, down by seven trying to go score on you to tie the game. Like you don't have to act like everything needs to be unnecessarily aggressive. You can play base with the with the talent you have on that team. You have it now. Stop acting like you don't. He had it at Oklahoma as well, but he is just stuck to this script. Um, but I I. I Hate to say it, I mean, a lot of people think that this USC team with the wide receiver talent, with the quarterback talent they have, and and they thought, especially with the defensive talent they brought in, they said this is probably the best chance that, you know, Lincoln-Riley and this USC team is going to have to potentially get through and uh, compete for a national championship. I feel the same way I feel about every Lincoln-Riley coach team about this USC team. At some point, late in the season, they're going to get upset. They're going to get beat, and it's going to hurt their college football playoff chances. That's how I continuously feel. I mean, five of their last six games. Think about this: Notre Dame at Notre Dame, Utah uh, versus Washington at Oregon versus UCLA to end the year. They're good. Like, does anyone expect them to run the table and, and run through all those games and win them? No, it they're going like- to drop one. They're, It's inevitable
1: to me. In my opinion, I think we're going to get to that Notre Dame game, and it's going to be an undefeated Notre Dame, undefeated USC. It's going to feel like a big, big big game. I would not be surprised if Notre Dame just takes care of business in that one. If they just take care of business, because like you said, it seems like one of those Oklahoma teams. Notre Dame may
0: not be undefeated. I mean, they're going to have to go through Ohio State. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. But I I mean, it could be a one loss Notre Dame versus undefeated USC. No,
1: there's no way they get through Notre Dame, Utah. California, Washington, Oregon unscathed. They're going to lose one of those games. (laughs) It seems inevitable, right? And I I still think they're a very good team. Like Caleb Uh, Williams lives up to the hype. That dude is extremely talented. As much as
0: I think Lincoln Riley is probably, I mean, he's one of the best coaches in college football. I think he's one of the best offensive minds in college football. There seems to be this, yes, high ceiling, but a ceiling for what he can accomplish, especially with Alex Grinch as the defensive coordinator. It always comes back to bite them at some point. And I think this year is going to be the, no it exception. Be, it's going to be the same thing. Just
1: listen. San Jose State, no offense to they shouldn't be tw- putting 28 on USC.
0: No. And it, sh- it was what? It was 21-14 and a half. 21-14 and a half. And that's when your starters are supposed to be playing and playing out of their minds because they haven't played another team
1: the entire camp. They should be hungry. It was 21-14. Go look at the average average yards per catch by the receivers. I, that tells you the story right there. They were giving up those big plays. It's not the little ones. It's the big plays they kept giving up.
0: It's It's wild to me. It's wild to me. Now, uh, we do have uh, Tigers versus Bethune-Cookman coming up this weekend yes. on Saturday, um, so that'll be fun. Pack the Liberty uh, Bowl, pack Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. I mean, as much as the program has to show their value, I think the fan base has to show you their value. Uh, that was a lot of the sort of discussion being had today when Bill Hardgrave, the new president of the University of Memphis, Laird Veach, came up uh, in, their, in their game week presser. Um, that was a lot of discussion, but the stadium funds came up again, Connor, and I, there's some hope, they seem hopeful about getting what they want um, in this whole thing, but at the same time, no final decisions have been made, uh, and Laird Veach basically put it all out there, the AD, he said that Memphis does not know when the school will find out how much money it will get for stadium renovation, uh, it says the city has some deadlines coming up as far as that is concerned, so we may learn something soon, but... He's putting some deadlines on when they want to get work started. He says early to mid-January is when they want to get the renovations going. And there are some serious questions about them getting the money they want. We're talking about $150 to $200 million. With the Grizzlies wanting renovations as well, there's only $350 million at the moment from the state that we're talking about. I have some serious questions if they're going to be able to get that money. Because I feel like you're sort of in a lose-lose situation with the Grizzlies and the, and the University of Memphis in a lot of ways. Yes, I think in a in a perfect world, they'd be able to split it up. Everybody, everybody'd everybody be hunky-dory. We'd all be happy. But I know that's not how this works.
1: With money, no. It's never that simple with money. And it sounds like, you know, I do hope that there is a way that they could come to a compromise where the University of Memphis gets some money. I don't think there's a pathway to Memphis getting the amount that they want. Yep. It seems like that's going to be difficult to do. Um, and it, and it stinks to say, but the Grizzlies, I feel, do have a little bit more leverage in the well, yeah, conversation. 100%, not
0: yeah, not even close.
1: Yeah. They can leave town. University of Memphis can't. We've
0: talked about that. We're beating right. a dead horse on that. And
1: one. unfortunately, that's kind of the discussion in a nutshell. That's yes, kind sir. of it. Listen, the Grizzlies have the leverage in this conversation. We have to make sure that we give them what they need. It, so it that almost they feels stay like a, Memphis.
0: It's a, it's a who would I rather piss off conversation.
1: Yes, and that's unfortunate. And unfortunately. I would rather piss off the University of Memphis <laughs> while fully understanding and agreeing that they do need the renovation money and yes. it is and it is important for the University yes. of Memphis to get that money because of all the conversation that's happening. That's why it's such it, a complex, nuanced conversation that can kind of be but unfortunately it can be boiled down to Grizzlies can leave, Memphis camp.
0: I think it would be more beneficial to give it to the, to the University of Memphis if you had assurances that this was going to put you in an upper percentile if you, Absolutely. to be in a power yeah. conference. That's the issue you have is, yeah, you're paying for stadium renovations that are desperately needed at the Liberty Bowl. Like, you need those renovations done. You need to update the stadium. You need to have a better fan experience, all that. But I don't think it guarantees you anything when it comes to the power structure of college football and college athletics. I don't right. think it does anything for you. And I think also, like, there is a point out there with FedEx Forum where you do kind of kill two birds with one stone. Like, the University of Memphis basketball team plays there. That, that does that help. That is also true. That does help. And, and you also don't want the Grizzlies to leave. It's it, Who do you want to piss off more is is the final question here. And I think that that answer becomes obvious. One can move. One doesn't have to. One, one cannot. So, there is that. I, uh... You know, it's frustrating for me because I think that the Liberty Bowl has been needing renovations, upgrades for a long, long time. Right. And it's frustrating that they can't find the money, you know, within their, their system. They have to rely on state funds consistently to make this happen.
1: Right. Well, and I think that that's, that's also part of the problem for the University of Memphis because I think from a state level, when you look at it, they say, we have a professional sports team in the state of Tennessee that we cannot afford to lose. We just they the state of Tennessee can't afford to lose the Grizzlies so they're going to give the money to the, to two the, the Grizzlies over or the over the University of Memphis. But again I still hold on to hope at least that there is some way Memphis can get Enough money to do some renovations on on the Liberty Bowl.
0: I feel like there's two options here,
1: <laughs> and neither of them are all that being, fun. I'm being hopeful. <laughs> the,
0: neither of them are all that fun to me. And, and again, who knows what type of money influx like is actually being talked about behind? We know about the 350 from the state, but right. I don't know what else is on the table. Um, I think one option is all the money goes to the Grizzlies. Whether you know 350 400 million dollars, they update FedEx Forum, they transform that place. We all love FedEx Forum for University of Memphis games and for Grizzlies games. I think the second option, which is kind of a risky option, you split up the money, you sort of piss off both in the process because they're not getting exactly what they want from a, from a money influx standpoint. And I don't think either of them ultimately get the full renovation scope that they want done done if you split up the money. Uh, the money we're talking about, at least that 350 from the state. I guess the, that's the second option, and I don't know how much that. that I don't know. I don't know if you uh, make anyone happy with that option necessarily.
1: Well, that's where you almost go to the Grizzlies and you say, "Listen, this is the situation. Y'all know it. We want to give you all the money to renovate. We want you to stay. We want to show that there is a relationship between Memphis, the Grizzlies, the state of Tennessee, all that good stuff." What is the number that's going to piss you off the least? <laughs> yeah. That's just write it. How much? What's the least amount of pissed off you will all be they want, what in they a want, split?
0: What they want, whether it be four hundred million dollars, three hundred fifty million dollars. That, that's what I'm that's, saying. Yeah, listen, that's, that's what pisses them off why, the least. I would say. I and would that's say. say all, of that's
1: why you have to be like, uh, listen, you're not going to get the full thing because we we, we, <laughs> we want to give money to Memphis. We want to give money to the university. What? I, how much are you willing to give to the University of Memphis? Like, how how much are y'all willing to to, to be Cool with this, the this split.
0: Whatever's left after we get everything we want is what <laughs> the answer would be. Let's be honest. Like, we're not living in a fairy tale land here. They're going to get what they want. They're yeah. serving their self-interest, and I get it, right? They need assurances from the city that they can get the money to renovate, get, you know, uh, have the support. I mean, I, I, I understand it. Um, I, I did mention this on Friday. I think one's an appeasement yeah. for the FedEx Forum. I think it's more of an appeasement. And one feels like a growth opportunity, but the appeasement, unfortunately, is more important in the given moment to keep the
1: Grizzlies where they're at in Memphis. I'm so tired of talking about things with the University of Memphis and not being able to do stuff because of money. It's driving me insane. money, 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 money. It's driving me insane. Thank God there's a football game this weekend.
0: Yeah, in which case, let's go ahead and change the subject then. Um, When we come back from the break, we have some FIBA World Cup to talk about and an interesting comment about world championships. We have to discuss... Is the NBA Finals a world championship or just a USA championship? On the other side, 92.9 FM ESPN. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets, guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Gabe, K-G-A-B-E-K. That's my promo code, and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't Want to miss. FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL. You must be 21 plus and president in Tennessee. First online, real money wager only. $10 to first deposit required. Bonus issued is non withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at slash sportsbook. If you have a gambling problem, call Tennessee Redline 1 800 889 9789. NFL Sunday ticket offer ends 9 18 23. No refunds. Terms and embargoes apply. $100 off NFL Sunday ticket, not YouTube TV. YouTube TV base plan is required to watch YouTube TV redemption requires a Google account and current form of payment commercial use excluded subscription renews cancel any time. now the FIBA world cup rolling along USA 2 and 0 I love the freak out I always love the freak out of the roster and then they handle business they beat New Zealand in their first or their first game 7:40 uh, a.m. on uh, on Saturday 9972 it wasn't it really wasn't a good performance but they still won 9972 72 Paolo Banquero was sort of the hero there. He looked really good. Um, And then today, 109-81 to over Greece. It was never really close. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, offensively, he's not getting as as involved as, as you might want now that the tournament has started. There's other guys that are getting their game off. I'll mention Austin Reeves in just a second. He had nine points, three rebounds, but his defense just continues to pop. There was there was one sequence today where Thanasis Santizakupo got blocked by Jaren. Uh, there was a run out. USA misses a layup on the other end. They get another run out. Throw it up to Thanasis Santizakupo, and Jaren Jackson blocks him again. He sort of sunned him. He sunned him in that moment.
1: Let's yeah, be it, it, Jaren's been. Pretty amazing on defense. He's just got to stay on the court, and it's all the things that we've been talking about before. Just making sure you know you're not too aggressive with some blocks, screen assists, things like that. Just making sure he's not fouling too much, so he can be on the floor. Because when he's out there, it's you can tell how much he disrupts the offensive offenses of every single team they play against.
0: Yes. Now, um, before we get back into that, because there were some interesting uh, Legion Hoops. We're gonna have to have some beef with them in a second. Yes, we they, will. They uh, they painted a sort of a couple of quotes, one from Steve Kerr, one from Jaron Jackson Jr. as responding to each other. That's not what it was. Uh, but Austin Reeves, I, uh, I'm impressed, man. 15 points, six assists, five rebounds. He's, he is a ball player. He is truly a ball player. And uh, one, of the, one of the big stats of today, uh, the only Team USA players with at least 15-5-5 five, five since 1994 in a game. You know, who, you know who it is. You know who the since only other since 1994. You know who the only other person is.
1: Only other person. Only other person. Is it like LeBron or Kobe? It's LeBron James. LeBron.
0: LeBron James. And 06 was the last time. 15 five and five was a stat line. Austin Reeves did that today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Austin Reeves, third best ever? I guess
0: so. That, are Maybe. those conversations hey. starting? Here's what I will Who say. Knows.
1: The Lakers getting him for like $56 million is nuts. Yes. It, that does feel like a huge steal now. Did
0: you see also that no one, apparently there were no other offers on the table because everybody thought everybody was under well, the impression that the Lakers would match. That done. Yeah, yeah, that they
1: would match no matter what happened. So, yeah, he's the bargain for them. He's. I, I understand why some people dislike Austin Reeves. I, um, think,
0: I think the dislike, I mean, well, listen, he's a Laker, he's a flopper. You know, he's he's a decent player, so that can get in the way. I but be- I, I feel like there's a little bit too much hate spread about Austin Reeves at this point. I feel like it's it's uh It's gotten to a it's gone a a little overboard. It's
1: a bit overboard. And here's what I'll say about the flopping. He he did he does flop. It's not like he flops every play. We gotta relax. He's he's not James Harden or Trey Young out here. He doesn't flop as much as they eh. do. At least usually when he does flop, there's some point of contact. Well I'll say this. If you're
0: on a team with LeBron James and I can notice you're flopping, your doings, you're (laughs) you're definitely
1: going a little bit overboard. But he's I mean, that's part of the game though. Like yeah. that's gamesmanship. He he can hoop, man. He's a hoop. He's a gamer. He's going to knock down the shots when you throw them to him. He's better on defense than people give him credit for and he can move the ball. He's a yes. good player.
0: Yeah, he does it all. I mean, let's be honest. He's he's defense maybe a little quicker afoot, foot, but he tries, which is I mean he 2 years ago when the Lakers were not any good, um the reason he played so much, he wasn't doing much on the offensive end, but he tried. He gave effort. That, that's what that's what got him to where he's at now is just being a guy that brought energy every night, and you're seeing it uh, with this FIBA World Cup team. Um, Now, Legion Hoops, I want to put this out there because today in the media and, like, certain platforms, uh, whether it be on Twitter, on threads, whatever the hell, Instagram, I feel like we paint things uh, unfairly, but Legion Hoops put out a tweet Yesterday, saying Steve Kerr said, Jaron Jackson Jr. has the ability to block everything. Sometimes he needs to dial it back. He's foul prone in the NBA. You just want him to let it go because he's too important to us. End quote. And that was, you know, in camp when they were sort of talking about Jaron Jackson Jr. how good he was playing. Um, Now, Legion Hoops made it seem like Jaron Jackson Jr. responded to Steve Kerr when that's not what happened. They just asked him about his play style. He said, If I'm going to be less aggressive, I'm going to bring less rim protection. Pick one or the other. Do you want me to be great or not? I feel like the Legion Hoops needs to be a little bit more responsible than this, and putting it out and trying to sort of pick one side, pin those guys against. Them. I can tell you
1: what it is; it's the engagement farming. Crap.
0: Yes, of course. The
1: engagement farming is starting to ruin social media, and it is really making it difficult to to follow things because right. that Jaron Jackson Jr. quote was from the season. Yes, because it was from the regular, like NBA regular season. He was talking about the Grizzlies, not FIBA. Yep and they do and they made it seem like he was directly responding to Steve Kerr and when as the internet not. does they did not read into it a lot of people just didn't even click on the link they just straight up took that tweet as it was at face value, and they ran with it. And I saw people that were like, Jared Jackson Jr. needs a needs a better attitude. And it's like, Y'all know who we're <laughs> talking you, about. If you watch Jared needs a better career. attitude. He's got an yeah. amazing attitude, you idiots. It's <laughs> yeah. just it's such silly engagement farming that is uh no. it, it's it's unfortunate. To now,
0: say. if I'm breaking down the quotes, I think Steve Kerr is more right than Jared Jackson Jr. Steve Kerr is right. <laughs> Again, he's not in has the ability to block everything, sometimes he needs to dial it back, he's foul prone in the NBA. You just want him to let it go because he's too important to us. Yeah. What, I mean, this is a conversation we've had yeah. multiple
1: times about Jaren Jackson
0: Jr. He gets, he picks up silly fouls at times, and I think he's gotten better at it over the years, but it could be a charge here or a, a legal screen there where he just adds one that shouldn't be on his card for that night, on the stat sheet for that night. He does need to be better about his fouls. Absolutely. And it's been an ongoing conversation. Now, Jaren Jackson Jr., I, I, that quote, and I know it's from the season, so it's a little bit of old news, but if I'm going to be less aggressive – I'm going to bring less rim protection. Pick one or the other. Do you want me to be great or not? I don't think this is a choose-your-side thing. No. I think you can bring the same amount of rim protection and foul less. Well, Jared I, th- is, I think I think he's it's about learning weak. and growing older, and I think Jaren's gotten better over the years at challenging people at the rim without fouling. Absolutely. So just keep For going sure. down that path. Like, I— I don't think it has to be one or the other.
1: When he was on the podcast with Paul George not that long ago, he talked about how he has to work on his fouling so that he can stay on the floor for the Grizzlies. He knows exactly. He knows that it's a problem. Steve Kerr is absolutely right. It's just that quote had nothing to do with what Steve Kerr said. But Steve Kerr is right. Jaron Jackson Jr. has to work on his fouling. But he knows that. Everybody knows that. It's not a secret. And he has been working on it. He was much better last year. Hopefully we see some more improvement this year.
0: All right. Now, um... We have world champion conversations. <laughs> I, 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 am, uh, I think it's kind of been split up, the reaction to this, but Noah Lyles is a track and field star for the United States of America. Uh, a couple gold medals. Um, but he, he had an interesting quote over the weekend about NBA champs or champs in the United States calling themselves the world champs. This is, this is what he had to say.
1: World champion of what? Basketball. the United States. You know the thing that hurts me the most is that I have to watch the NBA finals and they have world champion on their head. World champion of what? <laughs> the United States? Don't get me wrong. I I love the US at times. <laughs> but that ain't the world. That is not the world. We are the world. We have almost every country out here fighting, thriving, putting on their flag to show that they are represented. There ain't no flags in the NBA.
0: <laughs> that is really dumb.
1: I'm going to be honest. <laughs> that it, is incredibly I'm gonna be stupid. That was I'm like sorry. a bad Chris Rock impression that, that, he was trying to do. Yeah, that was really bad. Listen, yeah.
0: I get that No, like track and field and uh, any team sport, completely different, by the way. Altogether, like you, you are competing as yourself out there, unless you're in like a four by one team, four by two team, you know, in a relay. But uh, no, when we talk about the NBA, that is the world champ. I'm sorry. We're, we're not talking about like, uh, you know, national teams here. We're talking about the best team in the world at playing basketball. The Denver Nuggets last year beat everybody in the NBA, got there to the top. Do you, do you even, like, sit there and, and debate whether the NBA is not the best basketball league in the world? Like, there's no question, right? There's not even a question. None. There, and it's all, no all, all, the, all the good international players come to the NBA, just like with Major League Baseball, right? NFL is a little different because football's not really an international sport the way that those other two are. But I look at what he's trying to say here, and I, it just completely falls on deaf ears. The Denver Nuggets would beat any international team that you gen- generally assemble, right? Like I people will talk about like national team of Greece going against the best team in the NBA. Well, I mean, if it was in the end of the day, Giannis Antetokounmpo plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, right? We're not talking about national teams versus NBA teams. We're talking about all the leagues around the world, who would be the best basketball team assembled on the floor any given night. That team was ultimately in the NBA, yeah. So they are world champions. I don't, I don't really get the, 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 the point he's making. Ultimately, it would be a bloodbath if you put the Denver Nuggets versus the best team in the Spanish league. It would be. A, I mean, we had Mets ninety two with two f- first round picks going up against G League teams. Like that's what we did for Mets ninety two, and they were in the finals of the of the French A League. So like, I, I, I'm sorry. In the end of the day, yeah. It's the NBA championship, but, but ultimately the team that wins the NBA championship is just sort of by default the best, te- best basketball team in the world.
1: I understand what he's trying to say. I just think the NBA is a bad example of it because it is widely known, and, not, and, this, and it's just not disputed. You can pretend it's it, but it's just not. Every single player in the world that plays basketball wants to make it to the NBA. Aspires to be in the NBA. Period. That is the highest level that you can go. The best players in the NBA, you could argue the three best players are are international players. It is an international sport in the U.S. Like you said, if you did a world a world tournament, the Denver Nuggets are going to win that. They would win it. I'm yeah. telling you right now, they would slaughter teams that were European. They would slaughter teams. They, unless they were an NBA team, they would not give them any competition. In a seven-game series, you might win one for a fluke. You're not winning two. The Denver Nuggets are going to win that over and over and over again. We call Nikola Jokic the best player in the world. So why can't we call the Denver Nuggets the best team in the world? They are. They are the best team in the world for that year. Period. There's no other team outside of the U.S., outside of the NBA, that can give them any trouble. They just aren't able to do it. For an example, go look at the top prospects that are European when they come over here. There's always a learning curve for them. Yes. Luka Doncic is a special, special case. Victor Wimbayama struggled in his first G League game or summer league game. Giannis had to learn and
0: learn and learn
1: before he became good. And in it's the not NBA. a slight to the other leagues. The NBA is the best league in the They'd world, all agree and it's with not that. even close. They all agree with It's that. not even close. It's not a slight to the rest of the world. That's just what it is. The NBA is a collection of international players and American-born players, and they are the best in the world. Every single team in the league has guys that aren't from America on those teams they are the best teams in the world by his definition you close. can only
0: play an international tournament with with
1: national teams and then that's the only way you could call yourself a world champion and guess what if we send our if foolish. we send our best guys let's be honest about it let's be straight up honest about it if you sent the best players in the world that are American-born in the NBA, They're nobody, winning. nobody's beating the U.S. team. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, I, it's I, a just, silly conversation. I, I think it's, it's a, a very it's silly a, co- conversation. It's, it's semantics. semantics.
0: <laughs> it's straight semantics, Jinx. But it, it's, it's semantics, <laughs> and I, I'm not here to argue semantics. I know that the team that wins the NBA championship is the best team if in the you world. have to The open, best basketball team, collection of basketball talent in the world.
1: If you have to open Dictionary.com to argue <laughs> this point, you've already lost. And listen, people have brought up the MLS. Well, what about the MLS? Well, there's multiple. there are multiple professional leagues in the MLS, or uh, not MLS, in, in soccer. soccer, that have amazing players throughout and it. the MLS Messi's is no good. Messi's in the U.S. right now. Like, what are we talking about? But it's, the MLS is no good, But right? the MLS yeah. is no good. But what I'm saying is that... Not everything's equal Soccer, there are here. multiple leagues across the world that you could argue, hey, that's the best one, that's the best one, that's the best one. A lot of people consider the premier the best. I have no problem with that. But if you did an international tournament, teams are going to beat each other. NBA versus the rest of the world, no one's getting close.
0: NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, at those three sports, that, the United States, those United States-run leagues are the best in the world.
1: Yeah. They MLB, the too. World champions. MLB, today. too. They're, they're the world you, champions for a reason.
0: I mean, I, I, just, I it's just foolish, and I guess there's some pride behind what he's saying.
1: And it's not, and it's not even like an American we thing. The best player in the NBA is Nikola Jokic. It's not an American ego thing. It's just the facts of the league. Yeah. The best players in the world play there. It's the best league in the world. They're the world champions, period. The Grizzlies would have war crimes oh, God. against themselves. Like, Jaron Jackson Jr. would do horrific things. To other professional teams, like imagine him just playing defense against a team from like Taiwan. It's, it's going to be fifty to nothing.
0: John Morant blowing by everybody trying to guard him on the perimeter. Desmond Bain knocking out. I mean, it would just be David unfair. Roddy would look like Michael Jordan. <laughs> David Roddy would put up a lot more points. I'll say that. Yes, he would consistently. But yeah, I just I think it's a it's a dumb conversation. I've seen it sort of split, but I I. Couldn't disagree with Noah Lyles anymore. I Being get what he's trying to say. The NBA is just a bad example. The NBA is a terrible example. They are the world champions. If you are at the top of that league, you're world champions. I'm sorry, you're the best team in the world. So there's that. Now, uh, Jeff Calkins is scheduled to join the show next. We'll go ahead and get to him after these messages. 92.9 FM, ESPN.
1: Baseball is back.